Father, that you'll minister to Mikey in the situation that he's in, that you'll minister to that family, and as you're speaking to them, Lord God, Father, they'll see your message. I pray, Lord, for Brother Chris tonight, Lord God, that he'll get better and recover quickly and be able to hear your voice through everything that is happening in that family. I pray, Lord God, for Angie's kids. I pray, Lord, that they will find you, Lord, and they'll hear your message, and, God, that they'll come back to you. Father, we uplift our church to you tonight, Lord God. We pray, Lord God, that there will be more hearts that will commit themselves, Father, in this hour. We pray, Lord God, and bind the spirit of fear and release the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind, God, upon each and every one of us, Lord God, that we'll be able to go about our daily lives without fear. And, Father, began to understand that you've got us covered under this virus. Father, tonight, to study the message here tonight. Father, I pray that our hearts and souls and our mind will be open and available to Father, that we'll see exactly what we need to do of your spirit tonight. I pray that every heart and mind will be open to receive, and I'll give you the glory for it all in Jesus' name. And the church said amen. amen. We're going to be at 1 Kings chapter number 18 tonight. And before I read, let me kind of catch you up a little bit. What what I put on yesterday uh, on Facebook, a, a video, it was a Bible study for about an hour. I didn't read much scripture, but what I did is I took the Old Testament and used what went on in the book of 1 Kings, 2 Kings, Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles, and the prophets, and showed a template of history that actually relates back all the way to the presidency of Ronald Reagan. And that presidency from Ronald Reagan to now, how God has been speaking through the presidency to the United States, and the message that he's been speaking. And the, the primary point of that was to reveal that what's been going on in America now, today, this minute, and since, since at least back to President Reagan, is that there is a cosmic war between God and the devil going on, and it happened in First Kings and ancient Israel before Israel was destroyed and taken off into captivity. And we took King Ahab, Queen Jezebel, and we proved by what transpired in their reign that Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton was exactly like them. In fact, what King Ahab did, what Bill Clinton did, they'd done the very same thing. What Jezebel did, what Hillary did, they'd done the very same thing. The reign of their office was 22 years, King Ahab and Jezebel, 22 years from the time he went to office to the time that Queen Jezebel stepped out of office. And the, the reign of the Clintons was 22 years from the time he went into office in Arkansas to the time she stepped out of the office as Secretary of State. Uh, during the period of time of ancient Israel, King Ahab married Jezebel. And Jezebel was from a northern nation. And she was from the cosmopolitan area where Ahab was grown up in Judaism. So he was very familiar with the religion of the Jews, and he followed the religion of the Jews. But they two were put together not because they knew each other, not because they loved each other. Uh, they were put together as a political marriage. 
And Jezebel moves down from the nation, the Phoenician nation, and she comes into the nation of Israel, the neighbor nation, from the north down to the south. And she marries Ahab, and when she realizes that she gets down here, she realizes the culture that she's living in is completely 100% backward from what she was raised up. She didn't want to be associated with that conservative or, or that tight of a culture so she waged war against that culture and that religion, and she brought the religion that they served in, in Phoenicia, where she was from, she brought that culture down. She brought in to the, the palace 850 prophets of Baal, and their duty was to destroy and to overtake and overcome the prophets of God, to throw them out of the arena. And they waged war against that for all the years that she was in office, all the years that Ahab was in office. Hey, y'all, how y'all doing? Come on in, sit down. We're going to be in 1 Kings 18 tonight. So here we have King Ahab that was raised up in the nation of Israel. We have Jezebel that was raised up in the nation, the northern nation. And now they have a political marriage. And they come together in the nation of Israel and Jezebel decides that she's going to drive out and change the religion of the nation that she comes in. So she brings these 850 prophets of Baal down here and for years they are slowly, subtly doing things that is changing the religion in, Jew in, in Israel. And as time goes on, there becomes a culture war. Does that sound familiar, by the way, what's going on? So as time goes on, there was always people, when the law of God was given, that was against the law of God. But because the majority followed and accepted the law of God, if they practiced anything that the law of God did not sanction, they did it behind closed doors. They did it underground. They, they did it in the shadows. The Bible says, and the law was, thou shalt not commit adultery. So if they went to commit adultery, they actually had dungeons and places built up on the mountains where you could go up and you could commit adultery and nobody knew anything about it. So everything was done kind of in the silent. Uh, we got some folks in here 70 plus year old tonight. And I'm sure you remember when you were coming up, it was looked at as taboo for a girl and a boy to uh, have sex and the girl get pregnant. Right? Amen? Amen? It was that way when I was coming up. But as time went on and, and what Jezebel did, bringing all these prophets in, the, the, the religion started changing and the culture started changing. And what was taboo at one time began to be Tolerated. How many heard that word? Yep. Tolerated. Okay. Got to tolerate all this stuff. Now, this person's gay, you got to tolerate him. You can't judge him. You can't say anything about him. This this person over here got pregnant before she got married. You can't judge her. Uh, this person over here is tied up into Satanism. You can't judge him. This is a Islam guy. You can't judge him. You can't do anything like that. We got to tolerate everybody. Well, they started tolerating everybody. When you study the, the book of 1 Kings, 2 Kings, jo Joshua, Judges, all of the prophets, 
they started tolerating this. And what people wanted to do, as they started tolerating it, the people that were doing things like that down in the shadows, they came out of the shadows and it started coming out into the public. As time went on, it switched from tolerance to where it began to be an establishment. It began to be a new normal. How many of you have heard that before? Amen. Everybody said, this life is new. This life is a new normal. And they're trying to preach right now that we've got a new normal going on in the United States of America. What happened, though, is that there that the, the change, the, the, the cultural change was didn't happen overnight, and there was a lot of opposition. There was arguments and wars going on all the time. The prophets of God fought against it. They tried everything they could possibly do to stop this culture change to come into play. But what happened is as time went on, people began to be desensitized to rightful living. And as time went on, it began to be accepted to the point to where a certain king come in and started funding this cult, started funding this culture change. But the last straw in this change, because it, it was called the cult of Baalism. And y'all remember me preaching about Baal-Saphon when they were, uh, Moses was out in Egypt and he was leading the people across the Nile and God told him they had to turn around and go back to the Nile and I explained to you that that was the last showdown between Baal-Saphon, which was the biggest god that was in the Baalism religion, and it was a confrontation between God so God could prove that he was the only true living God to the Egyptians. In fact, every one of the plagues that God brought on Egypt was to destroy a belief that the God of Baal was over that particular element in the world. In other words, the plagues of the frogs was brought in there because they worshipped a frog God. The plague of the locusts was... One called they worshipped a, a god called the Lord of the Flies, Beelzebub. The moraine on the cattle, they had a cattle god. They had the god of the Nile. And God come in to prove not only to them but to the Hebrew children that he was the only true living God. But the bottom line through that, what really got God upset is as time went on, Baalism kind of got to the point to where he, or the people that led that belief, began to say that we had to sacrifice children to idols. They had to burn them in the fire. And it made God mad. That was the last straw, so to speak. And God begins to raise up a prophet to change this situation. God goes into his church house. He also uses people outside the church, and I'm, that's why I want you to look at this video because I show you how God uses the presidency, not necessarily Donald Trump, the presidency, to speak to us and set this stuff in motion that needs to be done. But they began to sacrifice children to idols. Where you, that's going on in America today. People don't realize it, but that's exactly what's going on. A baby that is aborted, they go in with a hammer in your womb and they knock a hole 
in the head, and they put a suction cup on the top of its head and sucks its brains out. Then they pull the baby out, and it used to be they'd throw it in the trash can and they would incinerate it and burn it at the end of the day. But as time went on, everybody heard Planned Parenthood? Planned Parenthood started buying them body parts, them baby parts, and started doing stem cell research. So the same thing that went on in the cult of Baalism in ancient Israel has been going on here in America. And God has been speaking to us since Ronald Reagan. Dee's looking at me with big old eyes like this. Oh, my Lord. I ain't never thought about it like that. But that's exactly what's going on. So God raises up Elijah. And when God raises up someone, I want you to listen to this. When God raises up someone, he raises them up to start with. And they come out and announce their calling. But then God, most of the time, if they're really truly called by God, he sets them down and tells them, shut up, listen for a while. Elijah shows up, and he shows up to the king, King Ahab. And when I say King Ahab, I want you to think about Bill Clinton, because him and Bill Clinton are exactly alike. When I say Jezebel, I want you to think about Hillary Clinton, because Jezebel is just like Hillary Clinton. Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton was the icon of feminism. If y'all remember, when he come in to play, he campaigned on changing the value system, a new value system. He put things into play like uh, abortion was going to be funded by the federal government. It was a, a, uh, a, a, a undeniable right for each and every one of us. If we decided we wanted to kill a baby, it was perfectly fine, and they legalized it. And now to today, 60 million children has been aborted in the United States of America at the rate of 5,642 a day. But you never hear anything about that pandemic. But you hear something about a pandemic called corona. So God got angry. He got upset. This was a nation that God called. And he said, if you'll come and accept me, you will be a nation a holy nation, and you will be a kingdom of priests. And God put his blessing on it. And now as time has went on, they started telling God, you're going to get out of everything. In fact, if you really study the history of Israel, exactly what happened in the United States of America happened here. Jezebel, which Madeline O'Hare acted in her spirit, stood before the Supreme Court in 1966 and got them to agree that we couldn't allow our children to pray in school. Jezebel brought all the prophets of Baal in and got Ahab, the king, to pass a rule that nobody could be worshiping the God of Judaism, God himself. If they were caught worshiping the God of Baalism, then it would be a crime and you could be punished, you could be put in jail, or you could even be killed. If you're caught praying in school right now because prayer ain't supposed to be in school, there ain't supposed to be no Bible in the school, if you're caught doing that way and someone reports you and says, I'm offended because of it, then you can go to jail for 10 years. 10 years for praying in school. In fact, while Obama was in office, and we're going to talk about him in a minute too, but while Obama was in office, he passed a hate crime bill. 
And when I stand up behind the pulpit, the only thing right now that protects me from preaching against a homosexual is that there is a separation of church and state. I have the right in this building to say what I want to say, and the state can't come in and take it away from me as long as I don't get into politics. But I can say anything. I can call Trevor homosexual if that's what he is. God forbid. But I can call him that and preach against that right now. But as time went on in ancient Israel, it got to the point to where the prophets couldn't call sin, sin. In fact, the culture wouldn't stand for it. The, the, torture, the culture changed things. What once was holy wound up being unholy, and what was sin before now becomes holy. And this uh, cult was a fertility cult, and it was a pleasurism cult. They got together and they would have sex. They would have orgies. And they used to do it in the shadows, but then they come out and they come out in the public and started doing it. And in fact, the government got to the point to where it was supporting open orgies for their leaders. And God got angry. He got angry because the kids were being killed. How many of you remember when Katrina come through, there were some prophets that were out there saying that we were under judgment from God and we were under judgment from God for abortion. And a lot of people laughed him to scorn. Y'all remember that? But they were telling the truth. This nation has been under judgment since well before Ronald Reagan. Now judgment is different than wrath. I want you to understand that. Judgment is something that God does like discipline that you do with your child. You discipline your child so that they won't fall into a trap. Or if they're in a trap, you discipline them to get them back to the point to where that they will live the right life. But wrath is different. When, you, when God's wrath comes down, they ain't nothing left. In Revelation, he says, when my cup of wrath is filled up, I'm going to pour it out. So right now, we're under grace. So God shows up. He moves on Elijah, and he tells Elijah, okay, you're going to come back, and you're going to save your nation. So I want you to look at your neighbor tonight and say, you're supposed to save your nation. You are called for such a time as this. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. If you're alive today in America, you better understand your calling is well beyond this church. Your calling is well beyond this town. Your calling is well beyond your family. We've got to start doing something to change things. We don't need to show solidarity. That ain't what Elijah did. You don't show solidarity. You stand up and challenge what's wrong. You don't go out and support the fruit of the problem. Or stand in solidarity, solidarity to the fruit of the problem. You go out and stand against the problem. You all understand what I'm saying? In other words, let me put it to the times of the day. You don't go stand with Black Lives Matter because that is a fruit of the problem. The problem is not racism. The problem is there is a cosmic war between God and the devil going on in the United States of America for the government of the United States and for your children, and it's time for the church to stand up against that. We are taught if somebody slaps you against the face, turn the other cheek. We're taught not to be confrontational. If he might love them to the Lord, love them to the light. No, 
it's getting to the point to where if you're going to be in God's house and really do what God wants you to do, you're going to have to start being controversial. Somebody got to say amen on that. I've talked 20 minutes. I ain't read my scripture. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 17. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah. Now this is after he has went before Ahab and he said there's not going to be any rain until I say it's going to rain. In other words, he announced his, his calling. Then he got away and he was gone for three and a half years. And now God's ready for the showdown. And he says, It comes to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Elijah said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now, therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, four hundred and fifty and the prophets of the grove, 400, which ate at Jezebel's table. And so Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. So it's 850 prophets against one. Everybody say, I will be in the minority. I will be in the minority. Verse 21. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye or hop ye between two opinions? How long hop you between two opinions? Circle that word between. Because i got to share with you, that's exactly where the church has been for years. That's exactly where you are right now. That's exactly where Living Water Worship Center is right now. We are between two opinions. We're going to talk about that in a minute. That means you're right in the middle of it. We say we've took a side, but we ain't really took a side yet. It's going to prove important tonight. He said, why do you halt between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. You see how close this got to extinction? This move that is coming against the United States of America is winning right now. You don't believe it? They are taking away your, your freedom to worship. What just happened here with this shutdown was a pre-run for them to come in and appoint their own pastor and put it in the church. Obama passed a law that said that the church has not a First Amendment right to hire their pastor. It can be appointed by the government. It's not being enforced right now, but it's there. And I'm going to tell you why. It is going to get to a point. Hopefully I'm gone by that point. But if it's going to get to the point, if you're going to stand up and preach the word of God, you're going to be took out and they're going to send you a government pastor in the church because the government's going to try to overtake the church. Then said Elijah's people, I, even I only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophet are 450 men. Now the prophet of the, of the groves were prophetesses. They were women. So there were 400 of them and 450 men. It said, let them therefore give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullet for themselves, cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood and put no fire under it. And I will dress the other bullet and lay it on the wood and put no fire under And call you on the name of your gods and I'll call on the name of the Lord and the God that answers by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Then he said, And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullet for yourselves, dress it, for ye are many, and call on the name of your gods. 
put no fire under it. They took the bullet which was given them. They dressed it, called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice nor any that answered, and they leaped upon the altar that was made. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he's talking or he's pursuing or he's in a journey or poor adventure he sleeps and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and they cut themselves after their manner with knives and lances till the blood gushed upon them. And it came to pass when midday was passed and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, three o'clock, and there was neither voice nor any answer nor any that regarded. Look at what Elijah did. This is what we've got to do. Listen. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Now, I've said in this church and I've preached in this church that God has promised that we're going to have the spirit of Elijah that's going to come back. Every generation has promised the spirit of Elijah. So it takes the spirit of Elijah to destroy what Baal is doing. So we have got to start seeking the spirit of Elijah, the anointing of Elijah. And it said in, that he prepared the broken down altar of the Lord and Elijah took 12 stones as symbolic of Israel according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob unto whom the word of the Lord came saying Israel shall be thy name and with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he made a trench about the altar as great as contained two measures of seed and he put wood in order circle that word there's two words in order wood in order you might want to circle all of it and it'll help you right now if you'll just say I am the wood so you're the wood. That means you got to get in order. So he put wood in order. He cut the bullocks in pieces, and he laid him on the wood and said, Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Now, if you're going to build a fire, you don't go get wet wood. Right? But God's way is not our ways. It's 180 degrees different than what ours is. If God's going to build a fire, he's going to look for somebody who's got some wet wood. Y'all heard me preach about that, ain't you? Amen. Time for you to start getting your wood wet. Now, there was a sacrifice at that time, even before the fire come down. He wound up taking 12 barrels of water, and water was scarce at that time, and poured it out over it off. That was a sacrifice. So in order for you to get the wood wet in your life, you got to sacrifice. So push that inside. You look at somebody, wake them up, say, you got to start sacrificing something. So he looked at him, he put the wood in order, laid him down on the wood, and he said, Fill four barrels with water, pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. They did it a second time. He said, Do it a third time. And they did it three times. And the water ran all around the altar. He filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am the servant, thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the God, Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell. Until all that's done, there ain't no fire of God going to fall on the church. 
until there's a sacrifice done to get the wood wet, <laughs> until there is a challenge to this Baalism cult out there from a somebody to stand up against it and to have a showdown, then God's power is not going to fall. I wonder, are you ready to fight it? So then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that it was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is the God. And Elijah <coughs> said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal. Let one, not one of them escape. And they took them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. Now are y'all seeing now as I've read this, kind of where I've been trying to lead this church since last December, that we've got to be in, get into place that when God is ready to end this cosmic war, which he's ready to do for a season, that we're in the right place. So look at your neighbor tonight. Get their attention real good. Find somebody for you. Now, a lot of you just saying stuff, so look at somebody. Look at him and say, get yourself in gear. Get yourself in gear. So I've talked 30 minutes and I just gave you my title. Get in gear. You know why? Because it really don't matter how much power you got in your engine. If you're just sitting there with your engine running and you never put it in gear, then that there is wasted energy. Until you really drop it down and drive, you ain't going nowhere. You can have your car cranked up. You can sit there like the boy next door with his motorcycle that you don't never ride. He goes out about twice a day, cranks it up. Just destroying everybody, just making a bunch of noise, but he never does it. Never see him ride it nowhere. So the church is happening to where everybody's making a great big amount of noise. They're out there jumping all around and saying, this is how great God is. But nobody never drops it down in drive. He said, how long... Are you going to halt or hop between two opinions? Everybody say between. between. Between means you're in the middle. In your car, there's park, reverse, neutral, and drive. Neutral is in the middle. And as long as you're in the middle, you can race that car all you want to race that car. You can crank it up all the time you want to crank it up. You can sit there and say, oh boy, ain't I pretty sitting in this car. You can have people walk by and say, oh, I got the biggest and the prettiest and the brightest and the most intelligent car that there is. It's the most expensive car that there is. We got the greatest building in town. We got the greatest preacher in town. We got the most people coming to the church. But if you don't ever drop it down in drive, you ain't got no pace. It's just like having a car without an engine. Amen? There is simply no power in neutral. So in other words, it means you've got to make a decision. In Isaiah 28, 6, it says, For the strength to them that turn the battle to the gate. The strength goes to them that turn the battle at the gate. In other words, if you ain't going to own it in this church, you stand in the gate of this church, you say it ain't coming in this church. If you don't want it in your family, you stand in the gate of your family and you say it's not coming in my family. You don't want it in your life. You stand in the open gates in your life and you say, oh, devil, you're bringing that filthy package of disease and that filthy package of sinfulness in my family. Oh, I ain't going to have it. I'm on the Lord's side. 
Moses asked everybody, he said, who in the world is on the Lord's side? And it took a, a bunch of them. They had just seen God rain down all of this stuff on, on Egypt, fight ten different Godheads, cross over the Red Sea, keep them through, rain down all this stuff. And God finally asked him, he said, I'm still God. And, and Moses stood up and said, well, who is on the Lord's side among us? And not everybody can make that decision. 3,000 people lost their soul that day. 3,000 men. Joshua chapter 10 verse 25 says, For thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies against whom you fight. In other words, he'll wipe out the enemies that you have. You've heard people preach that, haven't you? That's a false lie from God, from hell. God ain't going to wipe out your enemies unless you fight against your enemies. As long as you don't fight against your enemy, your enemy's got place. As long as you don't challenge it, it ain't going to change. As long as you keep letting it happen in your life, Susan, it ain't going to change. As long as you let it keep happening in your children, it ain't going to change. You got to fight it. Everybody say, I got to fight it. So you can't be a church, sit there in part or sit there in neutral because you're loose, useless. You're just like a powerless car with no engine. And I don't know about you, but I could be sitting out on my porch laying with my dogs and that boy walk out with that motorcycle and I hear that and I want to get off of that porch and walk over and just knock him upside the head and say, boy, will you shut up? Because it ain't making no difference. It ain't making no change. All it's doing is becoming a nuisance. And we got a lot of people in the church today that's nothing more than a nuisance. Amen. Somebody say amen. It's amen. the truth. Amen. So, you cannot be for something Without being against something. Y'all heard that saying. If you got to, you got to stand for something, you're going to fall for everything, right? You got to either worship in spirit and in truth, or you got to be selfish in your living, and you got to live with spiritual idolatry. Either you worship God or you worship the devil. There ain't no in between. Somebody say amen. amen. You got to be either humid, I'm humid. Humility, or you got to be in service for the Lord, or literally you have got to be full of pride. And be careless. You either for holiness and impurity or you're literally for corruption. You ain't no in between. So I want to know tonight how many is ready to make a decision. You got to get in gear. You can't keep racing your engine. You got to stand up. So the power of God is literally what we got to stand for. Or we going to stand for sickness and poverty and disease and oppression and all this other stuff that hell can bring into our life. Either we're going to fight for faithfulness and we're going to make a decision for faithfulness and commitment or literally we're going to turn around and we're going to be unfaithful and we're going to be spiritually doing adultery. So which way are we going to go? God is asking this church and everybody here, which way are you going to go? You got to get in gear. Why are you hopping from one opinion to the other? You worship the Lord on Sunday. Why can't you worship the Lord on Sunday on Wednesday night? Why in the world, if you can't worship the Lord on Sunday, why can't you do it on Monday? If you can go out and talk about God on Sunday, why in the world ain't you out talking about it all week long? If you can talk with your Christian brothers about God, why can't you talk to your sinner brothers about God? Amen. So we got to make a decision. You got the point tonight. Amen. Now let me give you a statement. Listen to what I wrote down. Satan accomplishes his greatest work when the church falls asleep in indifference, being indifferent about things. The devil don't defeat the church. Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The devil can't defeat the church. But you know what? You can. 
I can. We can go out and we can get in indifference because when we get in indifference, we get to the point where, hey, that don't really matter, and we literally bring in our impotency. We become powerless because we're indifferent to what's going on. Oh, my, my child got high last night. My child overdosed last night. Well, what you going to do about it? Well, I'm going to ask people to pray for him. Well, what you still going to do about it? Nothing. I can't change his mind. Yeah, you can you got to love in your heart for that child. And that child's got to love in his heart for you. And you can tap into that love. And if you have this power and the spirit of Elijah, you can change that situation. But you ain't going to change it sitting in neutral. You ain't, I ain't going to be able to change it. If I stood up here and I preached in this church, oh, the Lord loves you, the Lord blesses you, and all this stuff. Oh, God's just happy with everything that you do. You ain't got to straighten up. If I did that there, then this church ain't never going to have any power in it whatsoever. Why is it that a church or a Christian has to have some power? Why? Because without power, you will never have a passion. Never have passion. If you didn't have the power to love, you wouldn't be in love with that man right now. Right? If you didn't have the power to love, you wouldn't love her right now. you got to be in power. you got to have it. Passion. If there's true passion, you got power. And if you've got power, you have passion. And then if you got power, you're committed. If you got passion, you're committed. You would have never committed to that man if you didn't love him, would you? I wouldn't do it if you hadn't changed The church don't have any commitment in it today. Look around. Look around. There are people here, I understand, some are sick, some are out, some are not able to come. There are some scared to death about COVID. Some of them just ain't coming, don't want to come. Someone's got to work. I understand that there. They don't have a passion. So without passion, they never will have a commitment. Power will follow your passion. Once you have passion, you get the power to make a commitment. And when you have commitment, there's discipline, ain't there? Amen? There's discipline once you make a commitment. In your life, Jack, you had several opportunities through your life to leave that woman if you wanted to. And another woman out there probably gave you the opportunity to do it. <laughs> but because of the power that was brought in by the passion, then he was disciplined. She was disciplined to stay there. And when you have power and you have commitment and you have passion, then you literally have the patience to put up with somebody. Right? I'm not easy to put up with. Tina tell you that sometimes. I'm not. Trevor tell you that. He'd live with me longer than anybody else here. One thing about it, though, I have lived on earth without him. Let's think about that just a minute. I have lived on this earth without him. I've done so for about 20-some years. And if he really wants to get where God wants to get, he'll pay attention to his daddy made it without him, but he ain't made it without his daddy yet. And see, that's the way you need to start taking your attention to your children. Carolyn needs to look at Eddie and say, look here, I'm going to listen to you and I appreciate all your thoughts and everything, but brother, I've lived a lot longer than you have and I lived on this earth before you ever came here and I really didn't have to have you, but I got you now. And one thing about it is you ain't lived one single day without me in the picture. And if you get that point, you're conf Well, I just gave somebody to remedy all the situations in your life. 
Power follows passion. Then after that, there comes commitment. Then there comes discipline. Then there comes patience. And once you have patience, you can't have patience without sacrifice. You had patience with that man, didn't you? Had a lot of patience with him. You sacrificed a life that might have could have been better to stay with him because you were committed, because you had some passion for him. Are you all hearing my point now? So God is looking for a church that has some passion. The greatest uh, example of passion that I can think of is Jesus Christ himself. In the world today, people will go anywhere and everywhere and do anything for something that they're passionate about. I like to drink Mountain Dew. When, <laughs> when the Mountain Dew's gone at the house, 11 o'clock at night, there ain't no Mountain Dew. You know what hits me in my head? Now, this is bad, and I hate to have to admit this. Boy, the store ain't but right down the road about two miles. I could run and go get me one. And I have found myself getting out in the middle of the night to go get a Mountain Dew. That's bad now. That's bad. But I'm passionate about my drink. And if you're passionate about something, you're going to do it, right? Trevor is passionate about this new diet that he's on. He hasn't drank soft drink in a long time. He drinks water all the time. He don't eat before 12 o'clock during the day. He's passionate about it out there because somehow or another he got something little that I don't have because look at this. <laughs> he's passionate about that stuff. He's committed to that stuff. And the passion comes in. He will go anywhere, do anything. He will literally go out and do anything because he's passionate about it. And if we're really, truly passionate about growing this church, if we're really, truly passionate about saving our family, if we're truly passionate about going out and winning this world for Jesus, if we're really, truly passionate about reaching this world for the lost and being the Elijah that we need, then we will go anywhere and do anything to get that done. How many of you know people that work out? They go to the gym. They go to the gym. They've got a time set that they're going to go to the gym, right? right. It don't matter what happens, they go into the gym. Right. They will call in work and say, I can't go to work today, I'll be there in an hour. They go into the gym. They will go and do anything to do anything. Now, People will go through hardships, they'll go through criticism, they'll suffer opposition, they'll fight everything, they'll sacrifice, they'll put themselves in harm's way. They'll do about anything they possibly can, put themselves through difficult training just because they are passionate about what they believe in. I'm passionate about Tina. I'm passionate about, I'm passionate about this church. I'll fight somebody over this church because I love this church. I love the people of this church. And when I hear somebody say something about somebody in this church, I get angry and I'm ready to fight at that point. But there are four things that Elijah took with him up to Mount Carmel, and I believe that they are the ingredients to bring us some passion. First off, I want to talk to you about revelation. Everybody say revelation. revelation. That's one thing that you need to have passion. If you don't have no revelation, you won't never have passion. What does that mean? That means that you see something that other people don't see. You have to have the ability to see something that nobody else sees. You have to have the ability to see the ending before you ever begin. And if you don't have revelation, you ain't going to be able to do it. Elijah saw before he ever called Ahab and told him, you go get them prophets. He saw every one of them prophets dead. David. 
when he was out there ready to fight Goliath, before he ever went out there to fight Goliath, he already knew that Goliath's head would be cut off. He already knew that. He saw something nobody else seen. How do I know that there? He prophesied it. He said it. He said, this day, you old uncircumcised physically, I'm going to cut your head off and field it to, uh, feed it to the birds. He prophesied. So when you're passionate about it and you see something, you talk about it like it's already happened. So you got to have revelation to be able to do that. Amen. Now, the second thing that you got to have is you got to have an expectation in order to have passion. You got to expect something. So you got to have revelation and you got to have expectation. You got to expect something to happen. Elijah went up there and expected the fire to come down. He expected for the, uh, the, the uh, prophets not to be able to do what they were going to do because he knew he served the one and only true living God. He expected for the fire to come down. Somebody here today needs to start expecting for something other to happen. He expected the fire to fall. I wonder how many of us really truly expect God to do what I've been talking about. I wonder how many of you would. Amen. Amen. He expected God to show up. He didn't go up there and do something other than hope that God showed up. He expected it. He expected God's power to be manifested. He expected for God to show up. He expected that if, if he was alive today in Living Water Worship Center, he would expect for God to show up in the house of God every time he walked into the house of God. He would expect the fire of God to fall every time he came in. He would expect it and he'd go forward. He would see it already happening. And when you see it like that there, you began to expect more from yourself. God wants us to start expecting more from ourselves. Well, I can't do this. I can't do that there. God wants you to expect a better life. He wants you to expect his move. He wants you to expect more from him. And if we start expecting it from him, we're going to start breeding some manifestation. If you start expecting it, it's going to happen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Flip it around. Hope is a desire that is mixed with expectation. You have taken a desire and expectation, you made hope. And when you take hope and mix it with action, you create faith. And you don't move to action until you've already got a revelation and you're already expecting something. So slap somebody here tonight and say, what have you been expecting? You will find out that you have got exactly what you expected. Jack has acted and done exactly what Carrie expected him to do. She could preach to him till she's blue in the face about him doing something other different, and she would love to see it, but she knew it's what she expected. That's what Jack was going to do. So when Jack done what she expected, she didn't get upset about it. She was patient about it. Am I telling the truth? <laughs> Boy, I've used Jack tonight. He's going to be ready to throw stuff at me for us over <laughs> So Elijah brought revelation. He brought expectation. And the third thing that he brought was the desperation. Desperation. I wonder how many here today are really truly desperate. Let me share with you what I'm talking about. When he went up on that mountain, his life depended on the fire coming down. He was desperate. He was so desperate. If the fire didn't fall, Elijah wasn't going to be alive. He had 850 prophets of Baal that could have killed him. It's a whole lot easier for 850 to kill you instead of one killing 850. We are not a, a Bruce Lee or a Bruce Lye that can get out there and, and knock and hit 20 people at one time. You can't fight 20 at one time. But he expected God to show up and fight them 850. So we need to come with God with the same type of desperation. 
And we need to start telling God, God, I'm desperate for you. I can't do this by myself. Without you, I'm lost. If you don't touch me right now, I'm going to die. And when you get to that point, God, if you don't show up and start doing something other, I'm going to die. I am so desperate right now for God to do something in this church because if he don't soon do something in this church, I feel like it's going to die. God's got to do something, so I'm desperate. That's why I'm doing what I do. That's why I'm grumbling with people. That's why I'm arguing with people. That's why I'm getting to the point where I just literally want to shake somebody up and say, will you please straighten up? I'm desperate right now. I wonder how desperate you are. The last thing that he had was a resignation. He resigned to do things. That means that Elijah had predetermined in his heart and in his mind that he was going to go through with this challenge whether or not it happened or not. If he died on the mountain, he was still going to do it. He had resigned that he was going to do it regardless. So he had revelation. He had expectation. He put forth on everything else and he began to move and he was desperate in that hour. And then he turned around and he literally had to have resignation. He knew that if it didn't work out, what was going to happen? He weighed out all the consequences, and he said, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. we got a whole lot of people that wants to serve God as long as it's convenient for them. Am I telling the truth? Amen. Don't bother me now when the baseball game comes on. I'm going to stay home, I'm going to watch the baseball game, but I still love the Lord. Don't bother me now. I'm going to the NASCAR racetrack. Don't bother me now. There's one of the biggest races in the world. I'm going to be there. I'm not going to. Don't you schedule nothing at the church when the Super Bowl is going on. I'm going to be at the house and I'm going to watch the Super Bowl. Don't you schedule nothing with me on the night that the Red Hat Society meets. I'm going to go eat with them women. I'm not picking on Terry right now. Don't you schedule a time for me to be at the church when I'm supposed to be at the gym. Don't you schedule a time for me to do anything when I'm supposed to be dating my girlfriend. Or the beast. I was fixing to go there. <laughs> Don't you schedule something on the weekend. I work all weekend. I'm going to take the weekend off and I'm going to the beach or I'm going to the mountains or I'm going down to see my friend. Everybody wants to serve God as long as it's convenient. But the minute it stops being convenient, they want to quit. They bail out. Let me share something with you. I can't tell you this is the truth. We had to shut church down. We didn't have church inside for several weeks. D, I had people calling me every day, texting me every day. People I ain't heard from in a long time. I would go on Facebook, hear all their ranting and raving. Oh, the church shouldn't shut down. Sure. I wish the church was open. I want to go. I had people calling me, when you go up to church, if I'm going to be there. When you die, I'm going to go. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. Now the church is opened up and ain't nowhere to be found. Yep, where are they? Where are they at? Well, one of them just got a wreck last Friday. Another one of them just overdosed last night. Another one of them, Susan's son, got in a wreck the other day. Almost killed himself. Oh, that was my husband's brother. That was, that was Kenneth. That's the one that came here and we got baptized. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, your brother-in-law. He come in here saying that he was going to be eat. Oh, and I just commented on I said, brother, can you hear him now? Can you hear him now? And when I see Chris, I'm asking, hey, are you listening to God now? You see, everybody wants to talk about all this stuff, so I got to change that or what I said. It won't 
him that said that he was going to come to church. He come down here and visit from Mississippi for the funeral, and he made a proclamation for the Lord. Said, "I want to get baptized." Now he's indirect, and I just simply said, "Can you can you hear God now?" There are so many people that has texted me over the two years that I wasn't here and said, if you open that church up, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. Just as soon as you open that church, I'm going to be there. And I ain't seen them but maybe one time. And what they love to do is hope that I put it on Facebook so they can watch it at home. I'm about to the point for a season that I'm going to take everything off Facebook to see how many people really want to hear the truth of God. I'm almost there. So he was resigned that he was going to do whatever he wanted to do. He was going to do it. He was going to fight this thing. He was going to bring this thing to an end regardless of the outcome. I don't know about you, but I don't care what they do in the government. I'm going to serve the Lord. I don't care what anybody does. If Tina decides she's going to leave me, I'm still serving the Lord. If y'all decide you're going to leave me, I'm still going to serve the Lord. If Trevor don't ever want to see me again, I'm still going to serve the Lord. I've stood up here and preached. Listen to me right now. I preached the weekend my daddy died. I preached the weekend my mother died. I preached at funerals of my mom and my dad. I stood up and I was constant in it because I know, regardless, I'm resigned to do it. Whether I'm alive or I'm dying, I want to tell you right now, I'm going to be doing some type of preaching if I'm in the hospital bed about to die. I'm going to be preaching to the nurses or somebody. I'm going to be doing something or another with that. God's looking for some people that have some grit. How many got some grit? Got some staying power? God's looking for somebody that's got their mind made up. Why in the world are we still sitting in between? you got to get committed and say, for better or for worse, I'm committed. I'm resigned. I'm going to follow Jesus. When you got married, you said, for better or worse. Now, Susan, you had a whole lot of worse times, didn't you? You had a whole lot of better times, too. Didn't matter what was going on. It did not change the fact I'm committed to you. Did you hear me now? Even I've seen people that have went through their marriage when others have stepped out of their marriage. They've had all these boyfriends, all these girlfriends, but yet somehow or another somebody was committed enough to keep it together. If you're committed, you don't teether back and forth. God said, Jesus, God said, He said, I would rather have you hot than have you, and, and rather have you cold than to have you in the middle. Amen. If you ain't going to make up your mind to be Elijah right now, then the best thing for you to do is say, I ain't going to do nothing. Go home. That's the best thing for you to do. You hear me now? You ain't going to hear too many preachers tell you that. But it's the truth. If you ain't going to be cold heartedly, 100% sacrificed a whole hog, and you might well go ahead and stay home. I'm reminded of a story when I think about commitment. Uh, a pig and a chicken was walking down the road. Tina's laughing at me. And the chicken looks over at the pig and said, Boy, I would sure love some ham and eggs. And the pig said, Mm-hmm, that would be really good right now. And then the chicken looked down and said, Well, I'm game if you are. He says, Wait a minute now. He said, For you, I said, That ain't no sacrifice. He said, you lay an egg and eat. He said, but if I'm going to give the ham, he said, I'm going to have to give the whole hog. <laughs> That's the difference between commitment. <laughs> you got me now. So, God says it's time you come in and you shut the door 
behind you. Nobody comes in and takes you away. It's time for you to burn all those bridges behind you. It's time for you to get off your merry-go-round, going back and forth, going forth. And it's time for us to sell out. Sell out as a church. Today is the day. We can't keep waiting. I don't know about you, but I'm leading this church up that mountain. I'm tearing down every altar that Bill has grown up in our life or built up in our life. Every altar and every love, any other thing that's away from God. And we're going to do what God wants to do because I want the fire of God to come down on me. I want the fire of God to come and consume me. Look at your neighbor and say, no more neutral. Then look at another and say, no more park. As we read that, it said they took the wood and he put it in order. The wood is you. It's time for you to get in order. You got to call him. Every one of you got to call him. It's time for you to get in order. You say God loves me just like I am. Yeah, he does. He does. But God can't use you or bless you until you bring your life in order. God said, I am not going to bless you. you got to line up with the Word of God. You can't lift up your system to me and ask me to bless your system. you got to get on my system. I love Brother Cliff. I love him with all my heart. Gosh knows I love him. I wish sometimes I want to take him and just pull his teeth out, knock him upside the head and jam him back up in his mouth. I tell you, he just bothers me sometimes. I love him. But he has fallen in this trap that everything going on in the church is wrong. Ain't nobody doing nothing in the church. And I tell him, every time I talk to him, I say, Cliff, you're right. I agree with you a thousand percent. Very few people in the church is doing anything. There are very few people in churches preaching the gospel. Very few people are going out fulfilling the Great Commission. Very few churches is going out and doing it. And when they go do it, they're not doing it for the glory of God. They're doing it to glorify themselves. I agree with them a thousand percent. agree with them a thousand percent. But the problem is, Cliff wants to take other books that he's read and say they're greater than the Bible. I love him, but I just got to share with you, this is what, what we're fighting against. He is called by God. He is intelligent by God. He can be anointed by God. But he's got a system that he's built in his life that he thinks God is going to bless. And I tell him every time I talk to him, son, you got to get on the system. You got to get associated with a local church, and you got to get in that local church, and you got to work the system of God because it was God's system that said, "Go you and preach the word." He come down when the church was gathered and anointed the church and gave him the power. He wants you to assemble yourselves together. I tell him that all the time. And brother, you need to pay your tithe. And brother, you need to marry that woman that you with if you're going to stay with her. You need to get on the program with God. But Cliff don't want to hear that. He wants to tell us everything we ain't doing right. And I love him. Don't get me wrong. I love him. I love him with all my heart. Boy, if I tell you what, if I was talking about some of y'all's kids like that, or y'all be highly upset. But no, Cliff is called by God. He really is. He sees things in the spirit that a lot of you will never see. He's really intelligent. And his intelligence is what has messed him up. He is just all crossed up. And I tell him all the time, brother. brother. He said, but I'm doing it. I said, yep. Cliff, maybe you are, but where's your fruit out of it? You can walk in this church at any time. It might not be full, but you can see my fruit. 
where I have worked with people. I have talked with people. I have prayed with people. I've been on the phone with them. I visited when they were sick. I went to the hospital when they were sick. I was at the funeral. You see my fruit. And I ask them every time I talk to them, where's your fruit at, Cliff? If what you're doing is the way it's supposed to be, why ain't you got a big following following you? Oh, I do on Facebook. Well, where they at? You understand? Where they at? Romans 12 and 1 said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It is just reasonable for you to come and present your body. Elijah rebuilt the altar. And he laid the wood in order. we got to start getting in order. If you don't breathe spiritually, you're going to die. Just like if you don't breathe physically, you're going to die. What am I talking about? If you refuse to pray, and you don't pray, that's when you pray, breathe spiritually. And if you don't pray, you die in the spirit. You die out just as much as anything. What's the next thing he did? He went and he dug a trench around the altar. A lot of people like to come to the altar. They really do. In fact, there's some people, and I remember every time I called the altar, they'd be at the altar just like that, every time. And they'd pray at the altar, Carol, long enough to get the feeling a little bit better, and they'd get up and they'd go home. But their breakthrough never came because they come to the altar until they started feeling a little bit better, and then they'd go back home. Digging a trench around authority is entrenching yourself. It means the Holy Ghost is getting, doing some deep work inside of you. Some of us need to hug this altar and hug this altar and hug this altar and stay on this altar because we got to spend enough of time at the altar to allow the Holy Spirit to do some deep digging on the inside of us. Is anybody with me? Amen. Amen. Hosea 10.12, listen to this and we're going to close. Hosea 10.12. Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rains righteousness unto you. I believe tonight that I'm talking to some people that down deep on the inside of their self, they're saying to themselves, I want this passion. I want this power in my life. I want what's going on. I'm ready to climb up that mountain. I'm ready to go up. I already see the altar of Baal coming down. I see this religion that's trying to come in here. I see it being pushed out by the power of the church and the power of God. I see in my life the prophets of Baal being killed under the power of God. I see the fire falling. I see the wood being laid in order. I see all those pagan people out there jumping up and down on the altar calling out for their God and nobody comes and fills their empty space. I see God coming because I came and I climbed up this mountain. I got out of neutral. I put myself in gear and I got ready for God to consume me with his fire. I got my wood wet. Because I got under the fire, I got under the rain. So let me ask you tonight, are you still in park? Are you still in neutral? Have you dropped it down in the drive yet? Hmm. You know in the car, in my car, it's got, you go down to drive, you can go down to drive one, drive two. And you drop down to drive two, it's a low drive. You know, you can't go but just so fast with that. How many would think that God would be happy with you being in low drive? How many would agree with that? Well, I believe he would if that's all you're going to do. But every now and again, you can't go but just so fast without blowing your engine down there in the low. you got to throw it up in the second gear. And even at that point, you're limited. You can only go so fast. 
And if you keep right on driving in low too, what's going to happen to your engine? It's going to blow. It. So what do you have to do? You have to push it up in drive and let the automatic transmission take over. So I wonder how many of you have been cranking up your engine every Sunday and never do nothing other about it. I wonder if some of us can even find the key to our cars anymore. Some of us ain't cranked the engine up in so long that the battery's completely dead. Some of us took the battery out of our car and put it in another vehicle somewhere else, and now we don't even know where that battery's at. Somebody with me? Amen. amen. Some of us car have been setting up like my, is that an envoy or a Yukon? My Yukon has been setting up all this time, and when I go to crank it up, I have to get there and check and make sure that all of the oil ain't leaked out of it, and that I got to air up the tires, I got to clean it up, get the moss off of it, get the, the uh, mobile do off of it, and all this stuff. Some of y'all need to go to a car wash. Yep. So I want to know tonight. When is living water going to get in gear? When are we going to drop out of neutral? It ain't enough, church, for you just sit here and hear me preach. I wish it was. Because contrary to a whole lot of popular opinions, I'm pretty good at preaching when I want to. Maybe best in town, I don't know. But the truth of the matter through it all is this. Bottom line through it all is, my preaching ain't going to get you to heaven. And my preaching show ain't going to bring the fire down on you. And my preaching show ain't going to get you in the place where you can get to the rain. I can talk about it. I can scream it. I can shout. I can walk the pews. I can walk out there, slap you, knock you upside the head, try to jerk you to the altar. I can do all of that stuff. But it's your decision whether you're going to drop it down out of neutral in the drive. All right, D. Yeah. I have a question. Sure. In what respect? When the spirit's trying to move, or just disrespect, dis um, disobedient, and you you mentioned Revelation um, Sunday when you're supposed to reveal something and you hold it back, and it and I didn't know what happened to the people until you mentioned it now. Mm -hmm. Sunday, I had a, what do you call it, a, a vision, vision that um, like a, it spoke to me and said, I'm not going to touch them by the COVID-19, but they're going to feel it and it's going to hurt them. Mm -hmm. Or... Was it specific or was it for the whole church? Pardon me? Was it for a specific person or for the whole church? No, for, uh, for the whole church? Abuna, for one person? A couple of them. Okay, for a couple of people. And, but, well, uh, you, know, you know how I, I fight it. I do fight it. I don't, I don't like to talk about it. And I feel guilty. Um. Well, here you go. One of the biggest reasons why we, we don't say 
what we feel like we need to say is fear. And it's because it's the spirit of fear with it. A prophet is a person or a seer that sees vision. Is not necessarily a person that tells the future, although that's part of it. But his or her particular position is they have an uncanny ability to be able to speak not to your mind, but to your spirit. They're able to get into yourself so deep that they can grab a hold of the fruit that's inside of you and bring that fruit out. That's what a prophet really truly is. When a word of God comes, it is in a uh, either a two-gift type deal of a word of wisdom, which is dealing with the future, or it's a word of knowledge. You don't know everything about it, but you know a word of a part of the, the word. Wisdom deals with anything in the future. Like when, when I'm preaching and I tell you that God, uh, what I told you guys about Pentecost, uh, Passover and all that, I told you that long before it ever happened, and we saw that happen, that is a word of wisdom because you're telling it in advance. A word of knowledge is where you can look at somebody and you deal with the past or the present. You see what's going on right now and you're able to see through all the facade that they're trying to tell you is their problem and you see exactly what the problem is and a lot of times that problem can be deep-rooted in the past. I pray for people, it's shot like a, the Sunday I prayed for a certain person, I ain't going to call his name, but the, the Spirit of God spoke something on me and it was strong. And that person come to the altar, and as I was praying for him, and I didn't know this, the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, he's a pimp. He's a pimp. And I backed off of him, and I looked right at him, and I said, boy, are you in prostitution? And he shook his head and said, yeah. You see, that was a word of knowledge. God sharing with me at that point in time what was going on in the person's life right now or what has happened in the past. A word of wisdom, and we got a little visitor, a little cat's there at the door paying attention. But um, a word of wisdom deals with the future. And one of the reasons why we don't speak and say anything is because we have a spirit of fear that is keeping us from doing so. But the word prophet or the anointing of a prophet is once he begins to preach or to, to speak, he really don't know what he says. It just comes out. He hadn't thought about it to start with. He hadn't weighed it out to start with. It's just like it's on impulse. And there's a lot of times while I'm preaching, I may have notes, but then the Spirit takes over and I'll say something in that point I had never even thought about. So that's why I go back and I listen to my messages because a lot of times I hadn't thought about a whole lot of stuff that I say. It comes out at that point, and that's God speaking through me. The way you yield to that, what you're asking, is twofold. If I don't do it, what happens to me and how do I yield to it? That's what you're asking. If you continually refuse to operate in that gift, God will take the anointing of that gift away from you. You'll always have that gift, but he'll take the anointing of that gift away. The anointing is what makes, if you have a word of wisdom for Tina and you go to tell Tina what that word of wisdom is, the anointing is what makes her listen to your word of wisdom. So you can still have the word of wisdom but not have the anointing and she ain't going to listen to you anyway. All right. But the more you exercise that gift, you get the anointing on that gift. 
Secondly, you've got to understand how it works to be able to operate in it. And because you don't understand how it works, sometimes you don't feel like it's really you it's, or it's really God, it's you. So you kind of step back at times. So what will happen is not that God will thrash you. It's just as time goes on, he will not anoint what you see. And what you do see, he'll start bringing it less and less times, if that makes sense. You understand what I'm saying? Did I answer your question? Okay. Anything else? Are you ready to get in gear? I appreciate y'all coming. I, I hope this helped you. I really do. Father, in the name of Jesus, I 